Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. Hello. And uh, thank you for bearing with me. We had some... (laughs) We had some tech issues up top, everybody. Not an ideal way to kick off 2023. It's fine. It'll be fine. I'm here now and I don't sound weird, right? Right. It doesn't sound like there are a couple of you and that, uh, you know, <laughs> Terrifying. one of you is like in here just trying to do the, the like repeat everything the first sure. one says. Yeah. It was my, my evil echo spirit. Have I yeah. not introduced you to her? I mean, uh, I think I've actually like met her at a party a while ago. You for sure so did. It's fine. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, on that note, did you uh, happy twenty twenty three, everyone? Uh, very good to be back. Very weird to be back. It's always a struggle. I I find um, summoning the will to work again after the holidays. I'm having. I'm struggling with that right now. Where it's like, oh right, I have to. Um, how you say, pay my rent. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you mean I don't get to live in the netherworld of uh, watching random television and going to sleep at weird hours and generally just sort of like lounging? One that day. That doesn't seem fair. We're just behaving as though we're already retired prematurely. <laughs> exactly. Like, I just need to skip directly to the point in time where I've already murdered my wealthy husband oh, and I'm living off the spoils and my ill-gotten gains. The dream, the dream. Uh, but on that note, do you do you have any New Year's resolutions or are you like anti-resolutions? I'm generally pretty anti-resolution, um, but the last year had some, you know, had some loss in it, which I think is something a lot of people can relate to. So in the loosest possible sense, I am gave myself the resolution to be freely and unabashedly like effusive about like two people I care about uh, in terms of, you know, just loving them and appreciating them in my life. Uh, Because I feel like that's the sort of thing that even if I fail at having it as a goal, well, there's no such thing as failing because it's a reminder to just love on my, my friends and family. Correct. Yeah. I love that. That's like, one of the healthiest resolutions <laughs> I've heard someone have. So congratulations. Uh, my one resolution that I've made is I'm no longer saying yes to game night invitations because I am friends with a lot of performers and they like to perform even when we're supposed to just be socializing. Um, and I get invited to like a lot of game nights and I hate them. I'm going to be a, honest and live in my truth right now because for a long time I was like, I'm chill. Whatever situation you put me in, it's fine. I'm always having fun. I'm going on record now saying I hate game night. I I think that's great. I also understand because you don't just know a lot of people who are performers. You know a lot of comedians, which means a game night or any sort of social event where you are surrounded by people means people like which means bits. I'm going like, to even heighten the nightmare more for you. I know a lot of comedians and theater kids. That and when they get is, together, it is like, again, all my love. I love all of them so dearly. If, if anybody else talks shit about them, I'll kill you. But this is just me talking about them right now. A nightmare. A nightmare at game night. And also, I'm like, we are interesting enough 
as adults to hang out. Like, I want to talk to you. You're my friend. I don't want to be like trying to figure out what you're pantomiming to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was funny that you, this was your New Year's resolution because when you told me this, it was in response to me saying, oh yeah, I'm going to have a really chill game night with I know. some friends of mine from college, which really meant that we were all like horrified by the performances on the New Year's Eve like concert segment. Right, right. And then eventually played a game that we were more actually marveling at how bad the writing on the cards was <laughs> right. uh, because like you put a whole bunch of people who had journalism training. Yeah. Into that's a, a different together. nightmare, different nightmare. Yeah. Uh, but to be fair, the game was full of stuff where I was like, Oh, what is wrong with these people? It was a lot of bros writing those cards. Oh, um, uh, so are, are you talking about, uh, what is it called? The, the black cards? What are they called? No, no, no. Not cards against humanity. We okay. were doing, uh, something called what do you meme? Oh, okay. So they give you blank, like famous memes and then different options for what you would caption it. So it's played like cards against humanity, but, uh, just a lot of dudes with, uh, butt anxiety, yeah, so I I can pull back the curtain a little bit, I think, on this game because it sounds like in the similar vein of Cards Against Humanity, uh, Cards Against Humanity is written by the comedians of New York City because they just put out like a general blast where they're like, send us, send us ideas, send us jokes, send us what categories can be, send us answers, and they pay you, but a hundred percent of that is written by New York City comedians. Oh, so it's like <laughs> onion headlines. Yes. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah exactly. it, was... it works the exact same way. Like once you're on the mailing list, you're on the mailing list forever, and they'll just like hit you up periodically to be like, "You got anything?" Man, well, it was it was bad, but it was also good because there was uh, a beautiful snack tray, lovely charcuterie board. Love it. And a 113 pound dog named Bruce who decided to sleep <sighs> on me for most of the night. Bruce. We love a big Bruce. He's a good boy. Um, I, I apologize for being a nightmare because you were just trying to tell me about a lovely game night you were having with friends. And I proceeded to go on a tirade about how I'm never doing game. Oh, and here's something else too. I'm not doing fucking karaoke again. Okay. Y'all can stop inviting me. It's not happening. See, I think these are good resolutions. And honestly, I agree with them. I think that my social circle is such that having the opportunity to do another thing makes us feel a little bit better. It's like, okay, we've made decided to do this. So if we want to do something, then it's like, okay. But it's more the getting ourselves out of the house. Because, you know, mm. these are people that have had a lot of stuff going on lately. And it's so it was it was our way of getting things together. And For sure. That I understand. Recognizing. Yeah. What drives me nuts about karaoke is there's always one person who like wasn't good enough to be on Broadway, but they're like going to make everybody pay for it. Right. Oh, so yeah. they just hijacked the entire evening. Meanwhile, you were paying like a hundred dollars in New York City for a few hours. That's without drinks and food. So <laughs> and and I can't fucking hear you if you're trying to talk to me. So if I'm with someone, just for example, that I haven't seen in several years, and I actually want to hear like how their life is going, I'm like, why did we not just go to a bar? Yeah. 
Yeah. Why did we do this to ourselves? Now I got to hear like this one over here sing Celine Dion because her mom didn't hug her enough. Like, <laughs> what is this? I know it does like end up leading to a lot of strange psychosocial elements. Uh, what I'm getting is that in addition, that this year is going to be a year of no for you, but a year of good. Yeah. No's. You know what? Everybody's been talking about the year of yes. I am having the year of no because, and I. I really had like a revelation recently with a friend of mine. We were at a party where we could actually talk like adults. And I had an epiphany where for so long, I was always just like, I'm a chill girl. I'm happy wherever I am. I can always like find something interesting in whatever environment you drop me into. And I'm, I'm fine. I'm chill. And I realized I'm not chill. I just don't want to make a decision. And me not wanting to make a decision is because I'm not really tapped into my feelings. So if I actually sit for a second and meditate on, do I want to go to karaoke right now? Probably my brain's going to be like, no. And also it's FOMO too. I don't want to be like left behind, but it's like, I can hang out with you guys at a different time or like after karaoke, you know, like it doesn't mean like my friendship with you is over. Yeah. (laughs) Guys, I'm sorry. Can you tell I've not had therapy in a while? I don't know why I'm like, unloading all of this, but we I actually had therapy like, for a while. It took you a week to shower. You are just ugh. going in hot. I periodically, I periodically text Meredith where I'm like, I put showering into my calendar today. Cause I do need to do that. Or I just like, you know, I work from home. The days bleed into each other. It's easy to forget everybody. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm not doing that shit anymore where I'm like, I'm cool, man, whatever. I'm going to be like, do I actually want to do this or not? And also, like, if you guys want to do game night, great. But I don't want to watch you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, great. So we have our resolutions. Yours is actually, like, very sweet and nice. And mine is to say no way more, which actually is good, Is, is actually very hard for me to, like, say no to stuff like social stuff and also um realize like I don't have to do everything that's a big thing like if I start to commit to something and I'm not enjoying it it's okay to quit yeah uh Josh Gondelman wrote a really nice piece for self about quitting things that was very much along these lines uh the uh giving into the I don't wanna like like stopping reading something stopping oh yeah like uh, watching something if you're not into it, recognizing that there's no obligation there. And I think I, it's just a great lesson. You know, also, it's wild. Yeah. I, I for sure have stopped watching like movies and TV shows that I'm not enjoying stuff like that. I've never not finished a book. Oh, wow. I have a very small list of books that I call my, um, my wall books. <laughs> specifically because there was a period of time when I hated a book so much that I threw it against a wall. Oh my God. I see. I, I pine for that kind of emotional response when I read something, you know? Oh uh, yeah. It's rare. Yeah. Um, that is, that is wild to me. Also, weirdly enough, I'm now realizing why we are such good friends because this is very much a yin and yang situation. I was just hmm, going to say, balance. Yeah, yeah. I was just going <laughs> to say, my, let's recap what my resolutions are. It's to say no and to feel feelings. <laughs> and that's what I'm working on right now. So that that's good. Um, hey. It's always a struggle not to be Dennis from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. For me, personally, I, I 
sometimes I watch that show and Dennis is talking and I'm like, I don't know what the joke is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Guys, I'm not a full sociopath. I know. I know what the joke is. I know what the joke is. Okay. Let's move on. I wanted to read this message from Hannah. Hannah, who's a fucking genius and reminded me to remind y'all, you can message me on Instagram. Now, you can message the Light Treason News Instagram. I can't guarantee you when I'm going to see it. So I apologize to Hannah if this is a little delayed. But say, for example, if you're not a follower or a patron of mine at uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, and you don't have other social media, but you have Instagram, there is a way to get in contact with Light Treason News. Just send a message over there. So Hannah did that. And uh, they write, Hi, Allison. I know you say you rarely, if ever, check messages here, so we'll see if you get this, lol. I did, Hannah. We did it. We did it, Joe. Anyway, I was listening to your latest episode where you discuss horrors set in apartment buildings. I don't know if this really qualifies for what you're after, but it made me think of J.G. Ballard's High Rise. It's a short novel about a mixed-use apartment complex that descends into chaos over class divisions. It's an oldie and pretty exaggerated, but I found it interesting. Anyway. Hope life is good. Thanks for all you do. And then a little heart emoji. Hannah, that's a great recommendation. Uh, J.G. Ballard's High Rise. I have not read. Mm-hmm. Have you? Uh, I have not read, although I did see the weird movie adaptation starring Tom Hiddleston. Oh, and oh, Tom Hiddleston? We love. Yeah. We love. <laughs> but you weren't a fan? Um, I, it was not as good as I wanted it to be because I could... I've heard of the the story before and um I just wanted it to, to I wanted to be engaged a little bit more. Sure. Fair enough. It did, you know, I was reminded, I think it's called Way Downtown. I have to look oh, into this. Okay. It just came up. There's a movie that kind of like takes place in just like office building skyways. Ooh. Um, I'm gonna look this up. Yeah. As we continue talking, because you, that's one that, you know. You do that. Your sort of lukewarm response to the movie reminded me. Letterbox has done a lot for me in terms of mapping how I respond to films. And I am very, like, I'm very likely, unless something is terrible or, like, blows me away, to give it three and a half stars. Because I'm like, y'all tried. It's It's a coherent story. None of the actors are are overtly bad. Three and a half stars. And I'm like, 90% of movies must be like three and a half stars. Three to three and a half stars. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of like something that I learned when I was working at Rolling Stone where it wasn't, there was this conversation going on in the early 2000s about review creep and star creep. Like yeah. saying that everything was getting inflated and there was never anything that was less than three and a half stars because nobody wants to be mean and they want to have access to the celebrities and directors. So but everybody... it's also the case that honestly reviewing bad things isn't fun and consuming bad things right. isn't fun. So if it's your job, even if something is decent, but flawed, you still would rather write about that. Right. Then, you know, and there's so much out there. So it's not like you are, inflating the you know you're not out there saying oh yeah because but it turns out that things that are competently done probably are three to three and a half stars (laughs) no that's that's a really good point like I don't 
because my time is limited, I do watch stuff that has like positive buzz for the most part, or that I know that is going to be like, you know, a contender at awards time. So unfortunately I did watch blonde and like actively hated blonde, but that so rarely happens because you're right. Like by the time it comes down the line and I consume it, I'm like, this has good buzz. Yeah. Or there's some reason to, so that when it doesn't work, the, and I think like things that don't work. Yeah. Genuine, generally they're still like, they're not failures. Right. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this, the concept of like the fiasco, <laughs> <laughs> like that's actually pretty rare. I so know. you're going to get a lot of stuff that's in this good enough kind of range. Um, it's also something we talked about right after Christmas when it came to people kind of getting angry about glass onion being fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, like sometimes a three star movie is just what you need. Like, <laughs> and also, I don't think three stars is a bad review. If I get something three stars, I'm like, it's good. It's a good yeah. movie. If I don't like a movie, I give it one or two stars. But like a three star review is good. I don't know. I think people have gotten like, I know there are critics on Letterboxd who refuse to use the star system for this reason, where they're like, it's not nuanced enough. People get mad. They think you're dragging their favorite movies if you give it three stars, even though three stars is a good review. You know, like, it's just, it's a mess. Reviewing in general is a mess. But this is something that's existed forever, you know? There used to be a system, I don't think it was The Stranger, but it was like somewhere on the West Coast where instead of a star system, they had a little man in a theater seat and depending on his reaction was how the reviewers felt about the film. So sometimes he's like asleep in the chair. Sometimes he's like alert with a little smile on his face. Sometimes he's clapping in the chair and sometimes he's giving a standing ovation. And I was like, that's actually so much more helpful than the star system. (laughs) Absolutely. I like that. Uh, They should bring it back. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a nice way to segue into a thing that I was hoping to talk about that isn't, it's connected to a movie, but it isn't a reviewer discussion because neither of us have seen it. Before yet. we get to that, can I do yeah. one more message? From oh, Lisa? yes, please. So Brian writes in, happy holidays to Allison and crew and all my fellow troublemakers. My gift to you is to inform you that there is a sizable shipping community for the Grinch and Tony the Tiger. Were you aware of this, Meredith? Absolutely not. And this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard. Okay. And then Brian does include a YouTube link that I am absolutely not going to click on because it will fuck my algorithm for the rest of the time I'm alive. And I'm going to get <laughs> weird fucking videos. So I appreciate the evidence, Brian, but I'm not going to click on that. I also don't know why you felt compelled to tell us this. It's it's fine and in fact good, but I was trying to remember what the fuck we could have been talking about that Brian was like, I got to tell them about the community that likes the idea of the Grinch and Tony the Tiger fucking. I got to get on the Patreon right now. Maybe it was just a random thought. I have intrusive thoughts as well, so no no shame. Um, but I was wondering if we had been talking about like furries or something. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past us is what I'm saying. Who knows? I mean, I do think that that is the kind of thought that I want to encourage listeners to share with us because my goodness... We Love need it. more weirdness in our lives. That's how you want to, you want to be that person at a party. Like you walk up to someone and you're like, are you aware that there is a community that actively supports the shipping of the Grinch and Tony the Tiger? That is a great conversation starter. I would instantly yeah. be like, I want to talk to this person. Yeah. 
Um, I did. Uh, that that was me at my New Year's party because as we were listening to a year 2000 playlist, I was able to bust out with, oh, yeah, Filter did have more than one song. And uh, did you know that the lead singer is Brothers with Robert Patrick from Terminator 2? And everyone said, huh? What? what? And then confirmed it. <laughs> you want to be the person who says something where everyone is like, say more. Say more yeah. things. That's that are in your brain because that was so insane what you just said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, different, definitely not as interesting as that there is a <laughs> shipping community between for Tony the Tiger and the Grinch. But just like, I'm like, how does it happen? Like there has to be the first person who's like, you know who I want to see fuck? And then they put it out there, which by the way, is very brave of them because that is a, perhaps a thought you would be embarrassed to share and then how wonderful that you put it out there. You have this moment of vulnerability and there's like an enthusiastic response. And now there's a community. The internet is a fucking marvel. I know. It's really a beautiful thing. And, and it's awful. And it's awful. <laughs> it's the best of times. It's the worst of times. The absolute worst of times. Uh, but, you know, that also brings us to what I... Yes. I, I want to talk about Megan. Okay. Not whether or not it's going to be good, but I, I want to get in a little bit to something that you've been telling me since uh, the previews came out, which is your basic, your dread about it. I know, the yeah. sense that you have to, you know, you're like, oh, I don't want to see it. I'm sick of these movies that have these trailers and seem like they're being designed specifically to get people amped for a specific type of badness. Yeah. And there's a lack of sincerity. Okay. Let me, let me make my case because I know I'm going to eat crow tomorrow because I'm seeing it tomorrow and I like, it's getting great reviews and it's probably going to be an amazing time. So I'm going to have to, you know, eat my words next episode when I review it, I'm sure. But what I was trying to articulate is this phenomenon that you, you were describing, which is, mm -hmm. It's a lack of sincerity, I feel, on the part of creators where they're not trying to make a good film. They're trying to make a viral film. And that's different. Yeah. And a lot of people would say, how is that different? Because if it, if it goes viral, it means that a lot of people like it or think it's funny or they're intrigued by it and they're sharing it. So why would that be bad? And my worry is that there's going to be this sort of creep towards virality and like away from artistic merit even in like a silly movie like Megan there like the the scene where she's dancing in the mm -hmm. hall is so clearly I, I immediately was like that's gonna be a gif because of course it's gonna be a gif like and I, and that's fine that's not the creator's fault but when there's an intention intentionality in the creation that I feel where they're like, we're doing this because it will go viral, not because it makes sense in the story, not because it has artistic merit, but it's fucking weird and people are going to share it. I'm like, why am I seeing this? If you're, if you're not trying to like tell a story, if you're not actually invested in this, you just want something to go viral. I felt that way about the, the horror film with the, the, the face, um, the, the twin. Malignant. Malignant. Also written by Akila Cooper, the writer of Megan. I know. And I so, like, I think she's great. And I'm like, so glad she's having all of this success. And actually, I'm not even saying like, it's, it's her doing necessarily, maybe it's more on the director's part. But yeah, I'm just like, are we trying to make deliberately 
bad or stupid or silly horror films just because we know that has the broadest appeal and the most people will go see it. And by the way, that is a valid strategy if you're trying to get films made, you know, where it's like Smile did really well. Smile was a shit film. It was a bad film, but it was so broad that so many people saw it. It made so much money. Yeah. Yeah. It was a success. But like artistically, I'm like, is that fulfilling or rewarding? And it's like, no, like this isn't going to rank among the great horror films. That shouldn't be a goal for everybody. But like in terms of me, a viewer watching horror films, I'm like, I want to see I want to watch people trying their best, you know? <laughs> I know you do have a thing with competency porn. Um I do, yeah. Which is is a good thing to want in a scary movie, obviously. Like it's fun and it's part of what made the black phone so enjoyable. I come at it from a little bit of a different perspective. And I think one of the reasons why I'm interested in this particular moment, part is partly it's because I do have a thing for maximalism, and that's I think the only word you can use to describe malignant. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, but I I do think that we might be starting to see a shift from this, the viral, the virality question into something where, yes, it has that, but there are people who are actually making, like telling decent stories. Sure. Because I think that the fact that the movies are done well makes it different from past iterations of this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Like think about snakes on a plane. <laughs> that movie right. was not good right. and it was not fun. Mm. And you can be annoyed by the, by this trend, by this sense of like, Oh, of course they thought this was the thing they wanted to do because people would go nuts for it on the internet. But the other stuff hangs together too. And I think it does deliver on the promise. So it's this question of actually following through and delivering the goods. And if that can continue, then I think I'm okay with it. Totally. You know? And like I said, the early buzz of Megan is great. And it seems like people are really enjoying it. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. But like, and by the way, I'm going to go see Cocaine Bear and have the fucking time of my life. Is there a more designed to go viral movie than cocaine bear it's like no that's absolutely like audience bait right like and, and mm -hmm. also like internet bait because it's going to get like you know the shit gift out of it so like i'm not saying i'm immune to it or necessarily always opposed to it because like there's no better feeling than being inside like a packed theater where everybody's just laughing and having the best time, you know? And I would never want to deprive anyone of that or like shit on that. I think that's like a beautiful experience. So I'm not even necessarily talking about like films like, like specifically Megan, I'm talking about like the photocopy of the photocopy of the photocopy where it's like, if we continue to head in this direction, what do we end up with? Um, yeah. Well, but having then, said that, like we're we're coming out of this year where we had some of the best horror films fucking ever. You know, Barbarian and Pearl and like Bones and all, like amazing, amazing, very sincere, very beautifully artistically done films. So I don't want to be like clutching my pearls because I think a lot of awesome stuff is happening in horror too. Yeah. Well, it's valid because we know where this goes. I mean, if. Uh... Anyone who's really interested in in the story of 80s horror should look at uh, In Search of Darkness, which is on Shudder. It's a 
hours and hours and hours of the story of 80s horror. And it tells you how these movies of the late 70s and early 80s became phenomenon. And then how you get to the copies of the copies of the copies of the late 80s and early 90s. And it's fascinating because you have people who were part of it breaking down the decisions that led to all of these diminishing returns. So it's a valid thing to be concerned about how these lessons are going to be interpreted and how certain successes and failures are going to end up influencing how stuff gets developed. But I do think it's worth like, you know, once again, me being in the early 2023 Pollyanna, like I think that we should be excited that there are creators who are able to not just get the opportunities to make movies that seem interesting and fun, but are actually following through and delivering on these weird premises and not just like they, they seem to actually be taking them places that are cool. Um, Agreed. And like I, what I love about horror is that we, there's certainly more diversity in horror than we see like in general in Hollywood, (laughs) both in terms of like actors and also the people writing the story and the people working behind the scenes. So like that all has me so pumped. And I'm like, listen, I would rather have like eight trash films come out, but we get like two amazing ones like that trade-off is worth it for me. So like, I'm glad everybody's having a good time at Megan. I'm sure I'm going to fucking laugh my ass off. And yeah, but that, that was my initial concern where I was like, are we doing stuff because we sincerely think this has artistic merit or we just know it's going to get, you know, 20,000 retweets. Yeah. To be fair, it's been a while since we had a good killer robot movie. So we are probably (laughs) in the same way that there is the, um, the invasion of the body snatchers index. Like, you know how we're supposed to be over overdue for like the earth's polarity to reverse or like a super volcano or something. Yeah. Like there's been like a 25 year uh, or 20 year schedule for like body snatchers movies. <laughs> so we haven't had that, but there I think we've, we've gotten over to uh, the like killer robots. Can I tell you a rumor I heard today that has me so pumped that if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be crestfallen. What? So this came from Jeff Snyder, who is um, a big Hollywood reporter, great reporter, always gets like hot scoops. In fact, I got got this from his podcast called, I think it's Hot Mike. But there is a rumor that a direct sequel is going to be made of The Thing. Star (gasps) some of the original cast. I I don't even know what to do with that. I got so excited that I was like, if this doesn't happen, because like the thing is like one of my favorites. Yeah, Um, it's in my top 10 movies of all time. Absolutely. Full stop. Easily. Um, And we get Kurt Russell. Like, are you fucking kidding? I'll take it. And And, and some of the other, you know, like, some of the not to give away the end of the thing but like uh, other people who made it as well but like I got so excited that I was like oh but you just reminded me when you were talking about invasion of the body snatchers where I'm like there are some of these like older 
uh, horror films where I'm like, listen, I wouldn't mind a reboot. I wouldn't mind a direct sequel. Whenever people are like, why are we doing this? That's always the response when there's like a sequel or a reboot. People are like, is this necessary? And I'm like, bitch, no film is necessary. No film is necessary. And if they do it artistically and if they do it, if they have something interesting to say, I'm all for rebooting. I'm all for sequels. If it has artistic merit. I admit I saw a thing, uh, the, like, thanks to the horror publication, um, Dread Central that, uh, where James Wan, producer of Megan, director of Malignant, you know, the guy who's kind of running the show who isn't um, at A24 (laughs) is interested in remaking in a reboot slash remake of Chopping Mall, which I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I would absolutely show up on opening night for that. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if anyone can really redo Chopping Mall. There's some, yeah. (laughs) What's cool about redoing horror films is like, now we have, better special effects we have you know better cinematography in general so like it is interesting and I get like you know people are really attached to the originals and they don't want to see like I I think in general adults are just way too attached to nostalgia where it's like if somebody reboots one of your favorite films and it's not great that doesn't take away your memories of how good I know it's It's so weird my childhood thing my big question is well, we don't have malls anymore. So how do you make the movie Chopping Mall when malls don't really exist? Here's what you do. <laughs> Here's what you do. It's a construction crew that's there to tear down the mall. Oh my god! And like the have the have the the mall defender robots been dormant for all these yes. years? And, and they, they disturb re-animate? them. They disturb them, and they wake up. <gasps> okay, now I'm in, on board. <laughs> because you're right. I'm like, I was trying to think of what another cultural hub is that could replace the mall. And it's like, we don't have it. No, we don't. Yeah. I mean, what are they going to do? Suddenly show up at, you know, is it is it one of those Boston Dynamics robots that's helping the NYPD protect? Oh, God. Smorgasburg-esque, like, food truck yes. installation? Yeah. Um, or is that just me <laughs> showing my, you know showing my hatred of certain types of people. (laughs) Do you remember when they like, they tried to use the weird robot dogs in like uh, a poor black area of New York because of course they would. And there was like one viral video of everybody yelling at the robot. And then we never saw the robot again. (laughs) I do remember that. Yeah. I'm like, what happened? Like, were they just like, they don't like it. They don't like it. Get it off the street. Or did somebody like take it out? I'm very curious. I don't know. I I would imagine they probably took it out. There's just no way. So let's get into recommendations because you and I, there are a couple things that we both saw. And then I saw, and I'm sure you have other recommendations that I haven't seen, but I have a few. I have a couple anti-recs in this episode, y'all. So I'm going to be mean. So I apologize in advance. I don't apologize. They're not good films. Um, well, let's, let's start with your anti-rex. I'm curious. Oh, okay. You want to start with the anti-rex? Okay. Yeah, I want to come in hot. Okay. So uh, I saw Bardo, everybody. And it is, um, it's streaming right now, if if you would like to see it. I, I would not recommend that you watch this film because it's not good. Um, but I, I feel like I should tell you that is the option that you can watch it right now. It's very long. It is a two hour and 39 minute 
uh, film about this really fresh idea that no director has ever had before, which is um, a, a, a male artist who's mad at his critics. Uh-oh. So, you know, it's like a fresh thing we've never uh, ever had to sit through before. And I should say there was a period of time. I really thought I liked the films of Enritu. And now I'm like, did I actually like his films or was I just young and I hadn't seen a lot of films? You know? Yeah. I admit I have not gone back and watched uh, his first, like the movie that made him famous, Amores Peros, um, probably since it came out in like 2001. Um, I don't think I've really enjoyed any of his movies recently. I definitely just couldn't care less about The Revenant. Oh, I God. Just, yeah. And like that was just. I just that, was rooting for the bear so hard. It, I was like, I like Tom Hardy and you're making me not like Tom Hardy in this film. And if you could do that, I'm like, this is not going well. Like, I just I didn't want to watch a long ass movie about Leonardo DiCaprio trying to win the Oscar, which is what that film became. No matter how many times they were like we only use natural light and you guys don't appreciate how hard that is. It's like, we absolutely understand. It doesn't make the film good. Like, I don't want to watch this. I don't feel emotionally invested in these characters. And it's the same exact thing with Bardo. It's so fucking long. Every scene is just like so overwrought. And I'm like, you could have spent like five minutes explaining like the wife character more who I know nothing about. And, like, I don't feel anything for these characters. It's just, like, it's so annoying to watch a male director be mad at his critics and expect you to call it high art. Where it's, like, I'm not interested in this dude and it's so long. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't care. I don't care. And, like, I can appreciate, like, of course there's a certain level of skill always displayed because I do think you're a brilliant director. You just haven't made anything as of late that I care about, you know? Yeah. I just feel such palpable bro energy. Yes. Surrounding everything in his movies. Yes. I just can't care about it. I'm like, okay, you want to do these technical things you want. Like, I don't feel any soul or I haven't felt any soul. And a lot of it feels so very much like, He's talking to haters that don't exist. And I wouldn't even say like necessarily they don't exist, but I'm like, are you going to now make your career responding to critics? Because there's no faster way to make an audience not care. Like audiences, like, you know, I haven't seen Babylon yet, but like the fact that some critics were like shocked that audiences don't want to watch Hollywood talk about Hollywood I'm like it's just not interesting to people you know like watching a bunch of like rich actors do cocaine you're like shocked people don't want to watch that and spend their money on a ticket for that like really that shocks you okay yeah Um, and the same with this I'm like I don't want to watch you like work out your feel like that's what therapy is for my friend like that's why we share those thoughts with therapists and not our friends because they'll get very bored because no one's interested interested in it and, like, I even started to think about, like, Birdman, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I do think he has a very stylized approach to his directing that I think 
was kind of like shock and awe for Hollywood, honestly, where like when they saw Birdman, they were like, I've never seen anything like this before. It must be good. And (laughs) there was almost like an immediate response to like the hype of Birdman, which was a lot of people being like, actually, this is not good. It's not a good film. It's very stylized and there are interesting shots. But did you care about any character in Birdman? Absolutely not. No. That's what I think is so frustrating about him. It's like he's replaced actual storytelling with these gimmicks. So Birdman, it was this like supposed, you know, this fake continuous shot. And in The Revenant, it's all natural light. And I can't come back from that because I still want to feel invested in the story. And like there is an attempt in this, you know, I I don't know if it's a spoiler. You you learn it almost immediately in the film. But he uh, had a... a child died uh, when it was being delivered, his child. Mm-hmm. And so there is that thread throughout the film of him grieving and like coming to terms with this. And I, there's a scene where he's at the beach and I don't want to give it away, but like some critics felt something emotionally in that moment. I did not feel it. Um, mm. This is when my inner dentist comes out, by the way, where I'm like, I don't, wh- why is everybody crying? <laughs> like, I don't get it. But I do feel feelings when it's done well, everybody. I just don't feel like it was earned. Um, yeah, you put it really well where it's like, it's just, it's all style. Um, and yeah, so I, I anti-wreck it. Save, save yourself a lot of time and watch something else. Um, and then <laughs> my other anti-wreck is for the whale, everybody. Um, I, which I know is really pains you because we have such a yeah. love for Brendan Fraser and listen, but like as much as, hard. as much as it not being a good film, as much as me not enjoying it, I don't think he, I still think he has a, a decent shot at winning mm-hmm. because there's so much goodwill towards him. And some people love this film, which it just seems insane to me because you'll know what I mean when you see it. I assume you're going to see it eventually Meredith where like, First of all, let me give you a little backstory about what happened. I was going to go see this by myself because I heard it was not good, right? Yeah. I tell Charles I'm going to see this and a friend of ours is visiting from Australia. Oh, if anybody listens to a dirty little horror, uh, the podcast, or used to uh, back in the day, Chris, uh, his co-host for that podcast, is in town. So he was like, let's all go together. So I was like, shit only because I knew I was about to make them watch a bad film. Mm -hmm. So I bought tickets for everybody. We go. And I honestly, I don't think they hated it as much as I did. So I'll just say that. But like, I, I hated this film so much. And I think this is like a deeply, deeply cruel film. And it is beyond the scope of my comprehension that anyone thought Darren Aronofsky was attempting to have compassion for this character. There's literally a scene. If you don't know the, the plot of the film, Brendan Fraser plays a extremely obese um, man who's a, a professor and he teaches his class remotely with the camera off because he uh, hates how he looks. And, the entire thing takes place in his apartment. So it's like a play. God help us. And a series of like characters like his daughter and his ex-wife and like the, the pizza delivery guy because he's constantly ordering pizzas because he's fat. Get it? I'll like walk in and out of his life. Right. 
there is a scene where he's standing in the kitchen and he like opens one drawer and he sees like a healthy granola bar and he frowns, closes the drawer, opens a, a junk drawer full of candy and he smiles because he's fat. Meredith, do you get it? Oh, I, me I want food. Exactly. Yeah. Like that is the film. Me want food. There's several scenes of him eating in the most grotesque way imaginable. I felt like this was just really moralizing about obesity and saying fat people are like morally failing somehow. It really, really was upsetting. Not even the wonderful Hong Chow, who is like rapidly becoming one of my favorite character actors. Every time she fucking shows up, she makes everything a thousand times better. She's the only reason I like made it through this film. I'll be a hundred percent honest. Like she brings a sliver of humanity to this film. That is the only thing that works for me. I didn't even really like Brendan Fraser's performance. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I really love him. And I'm so glad he's having this resurgence and I want to see him in more roles. I didn't like this performance. I mean, I think the, in some ways it isn't that surprising. Like you're going to get the good buzz because Aronofsky is a famous director, but we talked about this after you walked out of the movie. Uh, He has, this is, he's made lots of movies that are essentially horror films, but are about, uh, things that no longer feel like things that should be horror movies. Like right. he treated uh, like Requiem for a Dream is the most moralizing 1970s drug PSA yeah, like, that's true. message ever. Um, he does seem to have a very stuck sense of what the worst things in the world are. Is he just so like it, a stylized scold? He might be. Because I, I really uh, yeah. felt like I was like, what am I supposed to be getting out of this film? And the fact, again, the fact that people were like, oh, it's so beautiful. It says so much about the human condition. I'm like, no, all I learned from this is that Darren Aronofsky fucking hates fat people. He thinks they're gross. Well, and another thing that I can't stop thinking about since I, in the run up to The Whale coming out, there was a lot of of coverage of the playwright who uh, wrote the screenplay. I think he wrote the screenplay, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. The original playwright, you know, this is, he says that it has basis in his own life experience because he had gone through a period where he was like quite overweight and this, and I was like, Oh, so this is somebody working out his issues with a period of time when he had an unhealthy, when he was going through some unhealthy stuff. Yeah. 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 And like, of course this is going to be full of fat hatred. Yeah. But like, even if we had a moment where, you know, we realize this is self-hatred and he's like, you know, I, I can't, be this mean to myself, I would be like, that's actually really honest because, you know, people do experience self-loathing and I I think that's normal, you know, like, but there's no kind of internalizing or like wrestling with stuff like that. It's literally like, let's watch Brandon Fraser eat something as grossly as possible. And also like, let's just stop putting actors in fat suits. Okay. Like, we we have to stop doing this. It is distracting. It's cruel. It's stupid. Like, the fact that it's still happening is just insane. And, like, this was the one where I was, like, I, I've hated it for a while, but watching this, I was just, like, this is so upsetting. And, like, I hate this film. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. 
I'm sorry, Hong Chao. Let's like get into something positive. Speaking of Hong Chao, um, let's do recommendations. Or do you have any anti-recs you want to do? Uh, no, not right now. Okay. I have been able to avoid things that I really despise. I'm recently. so happy for you. I wish I could say the same. Uh, I, I saw the menu, everybody. And, and then I very shortly afterwards watched it. So we have both yeah. seen it. <laughs> yeah. And I had heard uh, very positive things from people whose opinions I respect a lot. And I I enjoyed it. Like, is it one of my favorite horror films um, that came out? No. Uh, recently. Um, but it was so watchable. The cast is great. And Hong Chao, my girl, uh, steals the fucking film. She's so good. Any scene with her and the finance bros was like chef's kiss. I want more of this. Um, and I'm really happy to say, because I did not like the trailer for the menu, I thought it looked like really hacky and bad. None of my favorite scenes were in the trailer. So if you saw the trailer and you were like, this doesn't look great, I've got wonderful news for you. The film is way better than the trailer. Yeah, I also really, really enjoyed it. And I thought that it really, I think the trailer tries to make it fit into the current hot trend of class war stuff and to make it feel like it's supposed to be deep. It's really very, like, we want to make you laugh. Yes. It, it is not trying to say anything particularly exciting. I and see. I thought that made it work much, much better. I agree with you that the best parts are when they're like, we're funny writers. Let's just be funny. Yeah. I do think that they thought they were saying some deep shit, which concerns <laughs> me a little bit. It, it concerns me a little bit because like, here's the problem. It takes so long to write a film, get the financing, the whole production. You got to do all like the whole process takes years, right? Sometimes, sometimes can take years that by the time I see your film, the political highly relevant point that you were trying to make, I'm sure at the time of writing the screenplay is now so stale and hacky. Yeah. And it very, the movie does feel like it's commenting on a lot of stuff that was much more 2010 than 2020. Big time. And I've seen that point made by some smart film fans, you know, online. And I, you know, so it's not even, I don't think I phrased it that way before I saw other people do it, but I thought, you know, okay, that's fine. I'm still aware of what's going on. And I did. Yeah. The finance bros or the tech bros. Oh my God. So that good. was really satisfying. <laughs> like the actors are so good. Yeah. Um, I forget the one dude's name, but he's from Broad City and he's so fucking funny. Um, but yeah, highly recommend it. Uh, Nicholas Holt, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Great. Ray Fiennes. Great. Everybody like you have a fucking amazing cast. It's an interesting story. It's a highly, highly watchable film. Um, yeah. What like what do you want? It's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, that's just what I do need out of some of this stuff. I, it sometimes needs to just be watchable and not feel like I, something that I did not enjoy about Triangle of Sadness when I saw it was, uh, the big, like gross out scene. Dude, can I like go off on that for a second? Yes, please do. The French fucking love Triangle of Sadness. 
And I've heard some critics try to figure out why. And I'm like, well, first of all, they're making fun of Americans. So they love that. Um, by the way, all of the bad things I'm about to say about France, I love France. I love <laughs> French people. Don't come for me. This is just like truth about the culture. They love making fun of Americans and they love their humor broad. There's a reason they love Jerry Lewis, right? Like they love broad fucking humor. So all of the shitting, all of the throwing up, when critics were like, why is this playing so well in France? I'm like, because they love that. They love like big comedy like that. But like, yeah, I was watching that. I was like, this is fucking unbearable and it's going on so long. Yeah. Well, and I have a very specific, you know, physical humor kind of distinction. Like, I don't know if anyone else has, has lines like this, but I can find some vomit related humor hilarious. Like, I think that in the right context, a puke joke will kill. Yeah. I hate shit related humor. Mm. I hate it with such a burning passion. If there is a like diarrhea joke in a movie, I will automatically sour on it. It's why I didn't see Bridesmaids until five years after it came out. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out like, it's not a snobbery thing for me. It's not a snobbery thing because like, I love dumb humor like slapstick, bottom of the barrel, like very easy to, I think are great. But I still laugh at Major League and that movie is deeply problematic. But some of the humor is dumb in a way that I right. adore. But there's but something like, about yeah. shit humor that's so lazy and so base that I'm like, I don't understand why this is screamingly funny to people. Yeah. I also just think that there's something so like, I don't know why I think that occasional vomiting related humor is funny. There's just something that like, I, I think it's the, cause it's funny when stuff comes out of the, your mouth. Like it's, it really is like, like there is like funny and there's just something that feels so inherently mean about shit related humor. That's because, true. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's gross. It's uncomfortable. Nobody likes it. And it's something that like, I mean, it's why babies are so miserable so much of the time because they can't like no baby like you should like they don't want to sit in their own waist. It's uncomfortable. It's miserable. We've all had that experience. We've all been babies. It doesn't feel right to me to like laugh at that meredith well, wants that's to like moralizing it a little bit more than i think is real i sometimes i just think it's gross but you know meredith wants you to think of the children yes i am against uh scatological humor because of the children. <laughs> think of the children um so we're almost out of time but i i have one more sincere recommendation then i have two lukewarm recommendations um glad I... oh, go ahead oh yeah go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Glass Onion, we already talked about that it is, again, I think I gave it three stars. Like, it's good, um, good cast. And yeah, they're not um, rebuilding the wheel or anything. But it's like, especially if you're watching it at home with your family, I'm like, two thumbs up. I think that's a great option. Never have I seen a smarter marketing decision than making sure that movie was available on Netflix right before Christmas. Fucking genius. Like Fucking genius. Every single person that I know who spent the holiday with their family watched that movie. <laughs> I'm still unclear on, and whenever I say this, it, it always just comes down to money, but I just don't know where they were spending the money, why they would not just keep it in theaters and put it on streaming. 
I know it's, we have, I don't know what the answer to that is. Yeah, I know. It's like somewhere in the bowels of Netflix, there's a vault with the explanation and maybe someday we'll see it. It's literally always a money decision. I just can't understand where the money was that like, maybe, I don't know, maybe that was like very expensive to keep it at the, I don't know. But I was just like, that would have covered all their bases. Cause like a lot of families like to go see a movie on Christmas. Well, I want to just add one more thing to the glass onion thing before we move on Yeah, very quickly. I saw a friend in one of my group chats, a friend posted uh, somebody's tweet saying, I never got Daniel Craig when he was James Bond. But as soon as I saw Glass Onion, I was like, oh, what does it <laughs> say about me that like I'm a no on Bond, but I'd absolutely let Benoit Blanc smash. Right. I, I'll, I'll say like uh, either can get it, but I totally understand like there's a very specific appeal and Daniel Craig has now fully figured out who this character is and he is leaning hard into it and he's having the best time and it's just like a joy to watch. Yeah, I think that, you know, even if you even if you feel like the rest of the movie is kind of lacking, watching him be Benoit Blanc and Janelle Monet make it absolutely worth it. She's wonderful. And like anytime I see her in anything, I'm like, A, you're the most beautiful person in the world. B, you're such a fucking good actor. But C, I'm just like, I want to see you in more stuff and I want you to have good roles. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so my two lukewarm wrecks, and I won't say too much about them because I feel kind of lukewarm about them. But again, this is a recommendation. White noise and all quiet on the Western front. And I have to say, even though it's a lukewarm wreck, I was pleasantly surprised by white noise because I find the fan base around the book uh insufferable it's middle-aged men uh middle-aged men's version of catcher in the rye like they fucking love that book um and it's a it's a good book but like the cult around it is a little odd and i thought adam driver and greta gerwig were both too young for the characters. And I think that that's you refusing to recognize that we are in fact old now. No, 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 no. I've heard this like other people who are like deeply familiar with the book. They're like, he's at least a decade too young. Okay. For, okay. for who that character is supposed to be. Um, they have him not in a full fat suit, but he's wearing a paunch mm-hmm. to make him look more, you know, middle-aged. Um, but that aside, they were fucking great. And there is a scene that is so well done just to give like Noah his flowers where there's a scene with uh, Adam Driver and Don Cheadle in a lecture hall that is just so magnificently staged cinematography wise. And their deliveries are mesmerizing that I was like that moment. I was like, is this going to be a great film? And then, you know, the rest of the film happens. It's not like it gets bad, but I was a little like, oh, okay, we lost that fire a little bit. That's definitely like the apex of the movie. There's Mm -hmm. also a dance scene at the end of the film in a grocery store that is great. And that sort of brought me back to life at the end where I was like, oh, this is fun. Everybody's having fun. Um, And again, like going back to the political commentary of it all. I don't know if it has anything interesting to say about American culture, really, because these were points that were being made in the 80s. Um, It's weird to see, like, the supermarket, like, held up as a symbol of American capitalism and, you know, (laughs) 
uh, <laughs> sort of ennui, I guess, like suburban ennui. Like, I don't know. But in a weird way, that retro critique is sort of charming, you know? So, uh, and I, Greta fucking ate. She ate. She has a really amazing scene where she's crying and it's a long monologue. And I was like, damn, Greta. Like, I'm glad she's directing, but I was like, my girl can act. Oh, yeah. I have that thought quite often that I'm, I wish that she were doing more acting because everything I've ever seen her in, she's wonderful. She's so charming. Yeah. And you just, she's so, you know, watchable. Um, and then All Quiet on the Western Front is a war movie, everyone. Yeah. So if you're looking for that, it's um Yeah. It's a well One of done the, the quintessential film. World War One text and we've remade it. Yep. Um so if you're into that, it's uh well done, I guess. Yeah. I have uh one recommendation for a, a movie that everyone should see if they haven't already, because it's almost 30 years old, but it brings me so much joy and the Criterion Collection posted about it recently if you haven't seen party girl why have you not (laughs) seen party girl yet right just give yourself the gift of the early 90s lower east side and parker posey in one of oh my god great early roles fashion icon amazing house dance music wonderful cast like it's just perfect i remember watching it when i was a teenager it was incredibly formative for me, but I just think that like people should spend a little time with it this winter because it's great. I was always so jealous, you know, like how everybody has their celebrity sightings in New York. Anytime anyone saw Parker Posey, I was like the most jealous I've ever been in my life where I'm like, how dare you have seen her with your human eyes? Oh my God. And I didn't get to see her. I've never seen her in the city. And I was just like, Oh, what do I have to do? Where do I have to go? Do you know that one of my ex-boyfriends claims that at some point when he was running around in his early 20s, he ended up making out with her at a Ukrainian restaurant uh, in, the, in the East Village? I kind of think that's true, though. Oh, I absolutely believe it's Not true. Like, I just still think, okay, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know him, but like having known how she was, like, again, this is like high praise. I'm not, you know, shaming oh, anybody. It's easily the coolest thing that he has ever done in Until he dies, (laughs) that will be the coolest thing he's ever done. Yeah. Like she should just like, he should send her flowers for giving him like a party story, you know? Um, Absolutely. On that note, everybody, we're out of time. Please follow Meredith on the socials at Meredith L. Clark. You can follow me at Allison Kilkenny. You can follow the dang show at Light Trees and Pod. As I said, you can message me on Twitter, on Instagram, Light Trees and Pod. Please don't message my. personal account message the show and yeah thank you so much for the ongoing support at patreon.com slash allison kilkenny that's how you can support the show financially or you can go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button and yeah i'm glad we're back and i really look forward to this year and thanks for listening everybody while you're at it get out there and cause a little trouble <laughs>